the liveness that you experience as you code on your machine is not the liveness that your customers can experience. You want people using your tool. And when you look at all the other tools in the industry, everyone else is trying to do the same thing. The industry is going to keep getting frothy. We're going to keep adding new tools and new ways of doing it. And the thing that I'm really trying to do is I'm trying to take things that we've done before or that we're doing now and to look at what can we remove. And once you remove things, only then can we start to really simplify. Hey, this is Brian, and you're listening to Jamstack Radio, a bi-weekly series where we discuss the Jamstack, a new way of building websites and apps that are fast, secure, and simple to work with. Jamstack Radio is brought to you by Heavybit, a program dedicated to helping startups take their developer products to market. For more information, visit heavybit.com. If you're interested in being a guest on the show, or if you'd like to suggest a topic, find us on Twitter at Jamstack Radio. So welcome to another installment of Jamstack Radio. In the room, we've got Paul Bigger. Hey, Paul. Hey, how are you? Good. Well, Paul, you've got a history, so Mm -hmm. do you want to talk about why you're here today? Sure. So the history that you're referring to, I'm a host on another uh, one of the Heavy Bit podcasts, To Be Continuous. Which is a great name, by the way. I'm, thank you, I'm thank you. I'm pretty jealous uh, about that. I don't remember whether, whether it was me or Edith who came up with it. I'm pretty sure it was Edith. She loves a good pun. So for this, I was the CEO of CircleCI, and I'm currently the CTO of Dark, which is at darklang.com. Cool. So can you briefly explain what Dark is? So uh, Dark is about making it 100 times easier to code. And specifically, uh, we're targeting backends. So if you're something like a React developer or Jamstack developer who needs a backend to communicate between the various clients that you're building, Dark is is the thing that is supposed to do that super easily. You can think of it as a serverless taken several degrees further. Okay, excellent. I mean, that's like right in the wheelhouse of what Jamstack is all about, mm-hmm. and uh, the abstraction of all your different layers. And so I was just at RailsConf last week, and mm-hmm. I had this long conversation around how full stack doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. And uh, my day job is GitHub, mm-hmm. and we have full stack engineers. Yep. And so I was able to tell them that full stack doesn't exist, even right. though they think it does. And uh, so I think with the abstraction of those different layers, and we were talking before we hit record, talked about like. How React first came out the gate doing one mm-hmm. thing really well. Mm-hmm. Now React does a lot of different things, and I think the nomer that it's not a framework is kind of a lie now at this mm-hmm. point. But that's for another discussion with the React team. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you've been paying attention to the space, and you're now trying to, uh, I guess, attack one of the acronyms inside the jam. Mm-hmm. So, how did we get here as developers to now have these like tools to solve these problems? So, I think it's actually related to this full stack idea that. That you had. If we look back, you know, 10, 12, 15 years, then, then people were full stack developers. They, yeah. they wrote the whole thing. And as the industry progressed, things got a lot more specialized. And, and so people started building tools that, that solved specific problems of their area a lot better. And those tools grew in complexity to the point where people had to specialize. So now, you know, if you say you're a full stack developer, well, I sort of probably include myself in that category a little bit, but you know, how much do you know about the in-depth nature of React? And the answer is not that much. Yeah. But you also know a decent amount, but again, not that much about your backend framework and about your infrastructure framework and so on. And so instead in the industry you have, you have specialization of people who go really deep into the front end, really deep into the back end, really deep in the infra. And the result of that is is when people incrementally solve their problems in that area, they expand the amount of stuff that you have to know. And so now you have like, you know, when I was coming up, you had embedded systems engineers, and then you had like 
coders. Those are the two categories. Now, as well as the front end, you have people who specialize on various parts of the front end. So you have interaction engineers, you have mobile engineers, you have machine learning engineers, data yeah. scientists. So when you say embedded systems, are you talking like uh, people who created stuff on WordPress, like WordPress plugins? Or? No, 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 like, um, like, like cars. Okay. Re- real-time operating systems, like the stuff that would run in your in a watch, or you know the old bad phones, that kind of thing. Those those were the specialists. Excellent. The abstraction of the layers are getting really interesting. Like one of my, I'm not sure if they're a competitor for you, but Repelit is a mm, yeah. a tool that I love using because you can. I mean, essentially they're just a bunch of Docker containers. So yeah. no matter what language that you're trying to attempt to write or learn, mm-hmm. like you don't have to worry about. Installing or finding out the homebrew to get this language right, to work exactly, locally yeah. on your machine. So, like, how is Dark abstracting away that backend? So, Dark is an editor and a programming language and infrastructure. Gotcha. And so, the goal is that we have this editor that is specifically designed for this language and this infrastructure that's also designed for this language. And so, it's all combined into one, one holistic box. And so, an example of what that gets you is that in Dark, there's no deployment. You are writing code in a safe way that is live, and it uses things like feature flags to make that safe. But the time between writing a piece of code in your editor and it being you know, available if you choose it for your customers is like 40 milliseconds. Okay, wow. I mean, that sounds like my jam, pun yeah, intended. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, like if you compare it to something like an installation of Gatsby or something like that. So, you know, Gatsby takes, you know, 6 seconds to compile a production thing. Maybe maybe it's 10 seconds to compile a production thing and then you need to do a git push and then your git push pushes it to Netlify and like it, it eventually yeah. gets there. And the liveness that you experience as you code on your machine is not the liveness that your customers can experience. Yeah. So, I started programming Quite a few years after you started programming, so it sounds like. But my intro to programming is getting things like Rails and mm-hmm. doing like these one out of the box solutions, mm-hmm. and then you find the Rails way to do whatever you're trying to do. Uh, it sounds like that we're moving more and more away from like these giant monolithic frameworks, which mm-hmm. is like WordPress or et cetera, et cetera. And now you can piecemeal whatever mm-hmm. you need to do. So it sounds like where you see the industry going is more towards the sham way. Is that correct? I see it going more towards the, the piecemeal way, for yeah. whatever definition of piecemeal is. But I think that you're totally right. The monolith is a thing that people are doing less and less, and for good reasons, mostly due to structural flaws in the monolith. But the monolith was great, and the monolith was how we should be coding. We should have the ability to abstract over these weird distributed systems that we're building and have like a unified framework of monitoring and understanding and knowing where your stuff is. And that's kind of what we're trying to achieve with Dark. So we're trying to make it so that if you're going to write any code that runs on a server, you can write that in Dark in a way that is the same you know, you don't have to think about oh, this thing is going to be run in Kubernetes and written in Go. This bit's going to be in Lambda. This bit is written in Postgres, or this bit is written in Hadoop, or you know, some data yeah. science big data framework. It's just like you, you write all this in Dark, and Dark will almost compile it to the right backend for you. Yeah, so I'm I'm curious of how much that for you part is is happening. So if I'm a front end developer, mm-hmm. like I know JavaScript pretty well. Like yeah. if you ask me to do animation, I can sort of stack mm-hmm. stack overflow my way into it. So how much of the for you is Dark doing on the back end side? So if I am pretty shy or timid of mm-hmm. really going deep into something like that. So part of the problem of, of this sort of crossing the stack barrier yeah. is what is onboarding like. So you know, going the other way. 
if you're a back-end developer and you want to get into building something in front-end, you're like, okay, well, it's React. And so you're going to have to read a tutorial, you're going to have to set up you know, a Create React, and there's going to be a repo, and you're going to like, have to get used to all this new stuff that, that you haven't really seen before, and there's things like Babel and Webpack and, and all this stuff. And it's exactly the same if you're familiar with that and you're going to the back end. Are you going to be using Kubernetes? Are you going to be using Express? Are, is it going to be Node? Are you going to have to pick a different language? What are you going to do about Lambda? And like, do you have to deal with some sort of like warm start, cold start problem? What monitors your Lambda? Do you even know that monitoring a Lambda is a thing that you need? And if it is, now you have to learn all these potential tools to do it. Yeah. So the difficulty with crossing into the stack is the tooling in the stack, not the framework. Because yeah, that's good. Yeah. Conceptually, what you're doing is you're taking data from a place, you're processing it, maybe you're saving it, and then you're sending it somewhere else. There's JSON coming in, you write a bit of code, the kind of code that you're already familiar with, you, know, you write it in JavaScript or whatever. You might be writing this in Node. So you, you, you write in JavaScript, so you're going to take a bunch of objects, you're going to take a bunch of lists, you're going to do some processing, and then save it, send it. And that's all there is. And that part of programming is the bit that we all know how to do. Regardless of whether you're front-end or back-end or, or one of the, the many other things, we all know how to like write a for loop and take some fields from something and add them or call functions on them. That's the easy bit. And we're stuck in all the other complexity that we've built around that. So I, I think of like, uh, you, you come from the tool and you co-founded the tool CircleCI. So mm-hmm. like, Five years ago, when I first came to the Bay Area, like CI wasn't a thing I attempted to do. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a thing that I was really aware of. Mm-hmm. But when I came to the Bay and all this cutting edge technology, like we ended up using a CI system mm-hmm. to automate the testing. Like I remember, I made a joke actually in a talk I gave uh, a few weeks ago where, like, you run the test and then you go for a coffee break mm-hmm. and you hope that when you come back, the tests are done. So like, collectively, our industry has commoditized the idea of a CI. Like mm-hmm. everybody's sort of yep, solved that problem. It. We're moving forward. So. Is the reason for dark is because now the problem is tooling? Like, do you think that eventually we'll get to the point where we're all using the same tools, like whether it's AWS or all these other large infrastructure plays? I don't know if we'll all be using the same tools just because there's so much money behind not letting that happen. Yeah. The incentive is that you want people using your tool. Yeah. Right, so if you're AWS and you're making ten billion dollars a quarter, you know Google is looking at that and Azure is looking at that, and they don't want you to use the the AWS products, and AWS absolutely does. And when you look at at all the other tools in the industry, everyone else is is trying to do the same thing. They they're trying to bring you into their CI or their monitoring tool or or whatever the thing is. So I think that there will always be an incentive, perhaps not intentionally, to that complexity. Yeah, and like the one thing I've noticed too as well is like. I think there was a lot of developer pushback on the vendor lock-in thing mm-hmm. between some of these large plays. I was just listening to How I Built This with a podcast, another podcast, and they were talking about Peloton bikes. Mm-hmm. And their approach was instead of building just an iPad that mm-hmm. attaches to a bike, yep. they decided to go with the whole thing mm-hmm. because they didn't want to have the whole alarm clock. So mm-hmm. the, like alarm clock in hotels where you have like the iPhone 4. Dongle or whatever yeah, it was. Yeah, of course. Like all those alarm clocks that are just sitting there unused because you can't actually connect your phone to it. Mm-hmm. Like I, I think with the vendor lock-in, we have the potential if that if that goes down that way of mm-hmm. us being stuck and I have to only use this one monitoring service because it's the only one that locks in with right, right. with AWS. It's funny because dark is a thing that that is a little susceptible to that to that yeah. vendor lock-in. It's not a thing that we want because it, that's a barrier to adoption and and more than anything we want people to adopt dark. 
But we think of this exactly like Peloton. There's all these weird integrations that you have to do that form a good deal of the complexity that we're trying to get rid of. Yeah. And the way to solve it is if you own both sides of that integration, then you can eliminate the way that it integrates, or at least abstract over it in such a way that, that to the user it's eliminated. So this is very much what Dark is about. You know, we abstract over infrastructure. You just write code. You don't have to think about what database it's in. You don't have to think about what language it's in. You don't have to think about the integration between the database and the language and how good the ORM is and and you know how you're going to optimize that or whether you get to write actual SQL or or that kind of thing. It's it purely abstracts over that and the result is you get this shiny Peloton like thing, like experience rather than a broken iPad sellotaped to the front of your bike. Yeah. So now I'm thinking of comparisons of other things that potentially could be competitors or maybe even partners with Dark. So mm-hmm. I think a, a company like Glitch, I think most people mm-hmm. in the JavaScript space is familiar with Glitch yeah. and I think it's sort of like this euphoric experience when you first mm-hmm. tinker with the Glitch or you I guess the, the term is remix, a, mm-hmm. a glitch repo or yeah. project. I'm like conflating all their marketing terms, but I'm not sure which one's right. But mm-hmm. uh, once you remix a project, like something works and then you move on. And it yeah. took away all that JavaScript fatigue, mm-hmm. um, I think is what uh, I think. I don't think they were intentionally, that's what their marketing was focused mm-hmm. on, but they, they basically did that. I do a lot of these. Um, one-off projects, interactive APIs, mm-hmm. and I do a lot of training. So I reach for a glitch remix or a mm-hmm. repo, and then say, "Hey, everybody in the room, just remix this repo." Yeah. And all the forty-five minutes to like an hour and a half of just setting up something and making sure dependencies work mm-hmm. is all gone. And I think like the whole onboarding thing that you're you're bringing up, uh, every time you hire a new developer, like mm-hmm. there's all these popular scripting tools that we have now. But I remember back in the day where it was like a full four days of just like. Download this, see if this works. Okay, right, right. upload this dependency. Download Xcode for some reason. Mm-hmm. Maybe make this work. Run the script, and all that's gone. Well, sorry, all that's gone in the the jobs, I, the roles I've had so far. Mm-hmm. And I, obviously, there are some people who probably should work on scripting. So, is the goal also to one click include your your backend through through Dark in the future? Is that so? It's very similar. Yes. Yeah. So the overlap between Glitch and Dark is is like very high. Yeah. Uh, same with Repolit. Like they're both like wonderful tools that that see the world very much like we see the world. Where the distinction lies is Glitch is targeting this. You know, you write your front end and your back end together and all in JavaScript. What we're targeting is you write your entire back end. You can write front end in in whatever you like. And you write your entire backend in Dark, and then it builds the ideal backend for your thing. So it's a lot more around how can we safely scale backend operations. You know, Glitch has a separate niche than that, and, and Repolit has has a separate niche than that again. Yeah, and how would you sort of uh, future proof things? Like, I think we're at OAuth two at this point. Like, what right. if OAuth three comes out, or OAuth five, or JWTs, or mm-hmm. something? Some weird acronym. So, comes so out. this is a re- really good example of the kind of problem that Dark is trying to solve. We are building the whole thing around this idea of continuous delivery. In the old days, we wrote these applications, or today, we write these applications that run on a on a single machine, and that when you Make a change to it. You are changing the software that runs on on that machine, and then you're distributing it to all your things. And so you're making a change. But in the continuous delivery world, what you actually want to be doing is you want to make the new thing, switch over to the new thing, and then step away from the old thing. And whether or not you're doing that is essentially like the factor that. Car-
correlates most highly to whether your service works all the time or whether it goes down. So are you able to plan for this like nice easy transition? Yeah. So Dark is like fully built around this idea. So you, you you have this code running in production, and you write this new code that you want to be running in production alongside it that has easy flags for switching over. You know, for you, for your team, whatever it is, as you want to test it out. And everything in Dark is versioned to allow this. So every okay. every function is versioned, every handler is versioned, every type is versioned. So you can imagine you want to make some change. To some little utility function, right? But the utility function is used throughout your code base. If you make the change that that one change that you're looking for for this like one API endpoint, you have to make that change to every other place that uses it. And you might not have enough testing. You might not be confident. What Dark lets you do is it allows you to make a new version of that function. You can't change old functions. Make a new version of that function and apply it to just one endpoint. And then when you gain confidence in that, we have you the list of all the other places that it's used, and you can go in and say, all right, I'm going to change this one, all right, I feel confident in that one. Let you go through the whole way. And basically tooling around best practices for, for how people should be writing software that allows it to be this, allows you to do it right much more easily than we do it today wrong. Yeah, I mean, that's a really good point too. And I'm thinking, as you were saying that, so when I first got into programming, like I learned Git, mm-hmm. and I didn't know what Git was. Right, I didn't right. know why I needed to know what it was. But it sounds like Dark and all these other tools we've mentioned so far, like they're abstracting the need to know some of the lower level things. Is right. that true? So like, are well, we? We're, we're trying to remove all these integration points. Yeah. Um, and the, the word we use for it is, is accidental complexity. We're trying to remove all yeah. the all the shit that you shouldn't have to learn. So so Git is a really good example of this because what you have when you're writing software is that you have three or four different places where that code is deployed. Something goes into your master branch of your Git repo. You have something hits the server. You have something hits a CDN, and then once it's hit the CDN, then it hits a client. You know, at various times for for various different clients, depending on when people press refresh or or whatever. So you have all these different places where that transition can happen. And it's like, how many of those? Can we reduce it to? Can we make it so that a feature flag and a deployment and a CDN deployments are are the same step and they use the same flag? And if you do that, then you remove the risk that comes from each individual one. So pushing that thing to Git no longer becomes a thing that you do because yeah. the thing that's important is pushing it into like a place that your customers can use it. Yeah, there's a, a talk that um, Heidi from LaunchDarkly, so she's a developer mm-hmm. advocate at LaunchDarkly, I know. Edis, your your co-host on To yeah. Be Continuous, talking about the removal of branch-based developing in yeah. the future. I keep running into her, and she mm-hmm. keeps telling me about this talk. I don't know if she's actually giving it publicly on a stage yet, or to record it, but hopefully it will be in the future. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I, I feel like I'm just uh, creating my developer on, and all these new developers that don't have to deal with things like Git. Yeah, like I'm just going to start complaining about. Oh, <laughs> it was it was worse two years ago. You don't right, even know. Right. So I'm just like almost like this jealousy. Also, then another parallel is like so I have two kids, mm-hmm. and my son who's five now is at the point where he can wake up whenever he wants. He knows how to turn on TV. He mm-hmm. knows how to get the fire stick out. He knows how to, you know, start his day mm-hmm. on his own on his own pace. And I just remember back in the day when I had to like wait for cartoons to show right, up. Right, I know, I know. And now it's disaster. on demand for him. So I'm just mm-hmm. waiting for the day where he can just tell like Alexa to start a start the toaster mm-hmm. and put Diego in. And uh, he doesn't have to worry about degrees or settings. And right, right, right. So I feel like that same analogy is now with all these new or up and coming developers. Right, a- to. everything's becoming on demand. Yeah, which is it's insane to think about that, and only in a short amount of time, like mm-hmm. we're seeing this transition happen. Yeah, 
The part of the movement and the thing that ties a lot of what we've been talking together, this phrase that Charity Major uses, which is uh, testing and production. Yeah. And so you can think of you know something like Lit or Repolit or Dark or Launch Darkly. Right, these are all the same ideas that that you're gonna be putting something in production anyway. You may as well not pretend that this is gonna be some like you know golden handoff that is gonna work perfectly, and instead build your tools around the idea that yes, we are gonna be doing it in production. We're gonna be writing in production. That transition has to happen at some point. We may as well build our tools around that concept. Yeah, I mean it's true, and then the whole idea of contagious integration that we mentioned before. Like having that automated, all that that process, like you're gonna have monitoring mm-hmm. out there. So if something breaks or something goes down, it sounds like there's no reason to have like a six month like staging cycle or whatever right, it is. Right. Like, and if you take that to its logical conclusion, there was no point having a six month staging cycle because the risk of that one big, you know, everything that we made in six months is going to be delivered to the customer at the same time. That made no sense, and it also makes no sense that we wait an hour for the thing that we want to go out, or, or we wait five minutes, or, or, or whatever is is you know the end of our CI. If we build our tooling not to be okay, we've got this monolithic thing, and we're going to exhaustively test it, and then we're going to re- release it because now we know it's safe. If you build it so that we know exactly the change that you're making in production, and we only need to verify that that small thing. Uh, and that small thing we can verify in less than a second. Excellent. This is like a very, very jammy conversation. Like it's, it's almost intense. But I think uh, all the mentions that we've had so far, hopefully the listeners are taking notes and grasping. We'll have show notes in the, at the end. But mm-hmm. anything else you want to mention about this whole approach to continuous delivery and automatic deployments? I mean, I, I think. The industry is going to keep getting frothy. We're going to keep adding new tools and new ways of doing it. And I think that the thing that I'm really trying to do is I'm trying to remove things from it. Trying yeah. to trying to take things that we've done before or that we're doing now and say, you know, this one actually isn't necessary. We're only doing that because of the way we use GitHub or or something along those lines. And and to look at what can we remove. And once you remove things, only then can we start to really simplify. Excellent. And with that, I'd like to uh, transition us into picks. Uh, these are jam picks, things that you're jamming on. I know you, uh, your picks are always challenging. You mentioned before we started, mm-hmm. so I'll go first. Uh, and my first pick is Beyonce's Homecoming. So this is a so a documentary literally came out. I think like last week, uh, kind of chronicling Beyonce's comeback. So mm-hmm. I didn't know, and most of the stuff that I learned from this actual documentary, I didn't know. And like she pieced it together in this. So basically, Beyonce performed at Coachella a year mm-hmm. ago. Yeah, yeah. Uh, her Beehive, which is her collective Borg of superfans, mm-hmm. essentially renamed the entire show as Beychella because mm-hmm. it was that right, big. Right, right. I remember that. And uh, she sort of just leaned right into that. So she was actually supposed to play the year prior. She got pregnant with twins, mm-hmm. unexpected, and then basically almost died through their like preeclampsia. Oh, uh, I only know what this thing is because I have a really close friend that also went through this as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like a serious thing, and then she like ballooned up into a very large weight too. You can watch the documentary to find out what exactly the mm-hmm. weight. I want to respect Beyonce's wishes, but uh, for not sharing her her weight public on my podcast. But uh, yeah, so anyway, she came back, and within like a hundred days before she like gave birth to twins, she got back into shape, started this entire process of a show. And anyway, it's just amazing. You should definitely watch it if you have any interest or you remember that time or if you don't even mm-hmm. realize that that even happened. Definitely check out this documentary and you can kind of see like the whole why Beyonce is like the new. I don't know if it's fair to compare her to Michael Jackson and mm-hmm. like on that level, but her show was like at that level mm-hmm. of like I got chills, the same chills that I got when I was a kid watching Michael Jackson opening up for shows and playing like the Super Bowl and stuff like that. 
I got watching Beyonce. And That's I, cool. I'm a Beyonce fan now, but I didn't grow up listening to Beyonce or anything like that. And mm-hmm. I have so much more respect because of the show. And this is like way off technical. And <laughs> but I think there's a there's definitely a lot to learn from her sort of struggle and learning and coming back from uh, a long time out. Mm-hmm. That's my pick. That's the only one I have. So, Paul, do you have a pick? So, I'm, I'm going to talk about the thing that is next up on my Netflix that I have not actually watched. I think it's Knocking Down the House, but it's the it's the story oh, yeah, of yeah. Uh, Alexander Casio Cortez yep. uh, and her election and that kind of thing. And I am a super fan. I watch her Instagram stories, and I like I've, I've basically given up Twitter, but like I'm back on Twitter for that. And the entire thing around like, and I probably don't want to keep too much politics in this, but like a politician who's like authentic and who seems to actually care about the world that uh, that we are living in and is not bought, which you know, I, I kind of fundamentally think is a problem. So I'm I'm super excited about watching that. Yeah, I saw that come through because like Netflix is clever around having the automatic trailer come mm-hmm. through. So there's also mm-hmm. a couple other stories who also ran around the same time as her that is included in that. So I'm intrigued to hear about the other stories and whether or not they're actually politicians as mm-hmm. of now. Um, but yeah, it's also very intrigued about, I guess AOC is what they call her on Twitter, right? Right. Um, about her her path and where she be in a few years from now. So yeah, like, for it's sure. like almost like the. If House of Cards kept going, like the Netflix show, like mm-hmm. this is like real life now. Well, Paul, I appreciate you coming and talking about Darkling and talking about this continuous delivery, uh, this new tool that you're you're working on, and also the space in general. Like, I think you brought a lot to the table from your previous experience, but also your current experience. So, appreciate that. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, and listeners, keep spreading the jam. That's all the time we have for today. If you're interested in being a guest on the show, or if you'd like to suggest a topic, find us on Twitter at Jamstack Radio. To learn more about Heavybit, visit heavybit.com. And while you're there, check out their library. It's packed with amazing talks on sales, marketing, product, and general management from founders of developer tools companies and other industry leaders. 